0: And now, the epic conclusion to the Icewind Dale Trilogy and the Halfling's Gem. Chapter 24, Interplanar Goo Out of me way, you overstuffed bag of blubber, Bruner roared. The giant eunuch planted its legs wide apart and reached down at the dwarf with a huge hand, which Bruner promptly bit. They never listen, he grumbled. He stooped low and dashed between the giant's legs, then straightened quickly, the single horn of his helmet putting the poor eunuch up on its toes. For the second time that day, its eyes crossed and it tumbled, this time its hand low to hold its newest wound. A killing rage evident in his gray eyes, Brunner turned back to Pook. The guildmaster, though, seemed unconcerned, and in truth, the dwarf hardly noticed the man. He concentrated instead on the crossbow again, which was loaded and leveled at him. Drizzt's single emotion as he came in was anger. Anger at the pain the wretched creatures of Tartarus had caused to Kadabri. His goal, too, was singular. The little patch of light in the gloom. The planar gate back to his own world. His scimitars led the way, and Drizzt grinned at the thought of tearing through the Demadan flesh. But the drow slowed as he came in, his anger tempered by the sight of his goal. He could whirl in on the Demodand horde in an attacking frenzy and probably manage to slip through the gate. But could Caterpree take the punishment the mighty creatures would surely inflict before Drizzt got her through? The drow saw another way. As he inched in on the back of the Demodan line, he reached out wide to either side of his blades, tapping the back two Demodans on the outside shoulders. As the creatures reflexively turned to look back over their shoulders, Drizd darted between them. The drow's blades became a whirling prow, nicking away at the hands of any of the Demodans that tried to catch him. He felt a tug on Caterbury, and whirled quickly. His rage doubled. He couldn't see his target, but he knew that he had connected on something when he brought Twinkle down and heard a demodan shriek. A heavy arm clubbed him on the side of his head, a blow that should have felled him, but Drizzt spun back again and saw the light of the gate only a few feet ahead, and a silhouette of a single demodan standing to block his passage. The dark tunnel of demodan flesh began to close about him. Another large arm whirled in, but Drizzt was able to duck beneath its arc. If the demodan delayed him a single second, he would be caught and slaughtered. Again, it was instinct, faster than thought, that carried Drizzt through. He slapped the Demodan's arms wide apart with his scimitars and ducked his head, slamming into the Demodan's chest, his momentum forcing the creature backward through the gate. The dark head and shoulders came through into Wolfgar's sights, and he hammered Aegis Fang home. The mighty blow snapped the demodan's backbone and jolted Drizzt, who pushed from the other side. The demodan fell dead, half in and half out of the tarot's hoop, and the stunned drow rolled limply to the side and out, tumbling into Pook's room beneath Caterbury. Wolfgar paled at the sight and hesitated, but Drizzt, realizing that more creatures would soon rush through, managed to lift his head wearily from the floor. Close the gate, he gasped. Wolfgar had already discerned that he could not shatter the glassy image within the hoop. Striking at it only sent his Warhammer's head into Tartarus. Wolfgar started to drop Aegis Fang to his side. Then he noticed the action across the room. Are you quick enough with that shield? Pook teased, wiggling the crossbow. Intent on the weapon, Bruner hadn't even noticed Drizzt and Caterbury's grand entrance. So you've got one shot to kill me, dog, he spat back, unafraid of death. And one alone. He took a determined step forward. Pook shrugged. He was an expert marksman, and his crossbow was as enchanted as any weapon in the realms. One shot would be enough, but he never got it off. A twirling warhammer exploded into the throne, knocking the huge chair over into the guildmaster and sending him sprawling heavily into the wall. Brunner turned with a grim smile to thank his barbarian friend, but his smile washed away and the words died in his throat when he saw Drizzt and Catterbury lying beside the terror soup. The dwarf stood as if turned to stone, his eyes not blinking, his lungs not drawing breath. The strength went out of his legs, and he fell to his knees. He dropped his axe and shield and scrambled on all fours to his daughter's side. Wolfgar clasped the iron edges of the terrace hoop in his hands and tried to force them together. His entire upper body flushed red, and the veins and sinewy muscles stood out like iron cords in his huge arms, but if there was any movement in the gate, it was slight. A demadan arm reached through the portal to prevent the closure, but the sight of it only spurred Wolfgar on. He roared to tempest and pushed with all of his strength, driving his hands together, bending the edges of the hoop in to meet each other. The glassy image bowed with the planar shift, and the demodan's arm dropped to the floor, cleanly severed. Likewise, the demodan that lay dead at Wolfgar's feet, with half of its body still inside the gate, twitched and turned. Wolfgar averted his eyes at the horrid spectacle of a winged demodan caught within the warping planar tunnel, bent and bowed until its skin began to rip apart. The magic of the terrace hoop was strong, and Wolfgar, for all of his strength, could not hope to bend the thing far enough to complete the job. He had the gate warped and blocked, but for how long? When he tired, and the terrace hoop returned to its normal shape, the portal would open once again. Stubbornly, the barbarian roared and drove on, turning his head to the side in anticipation of the shattering of the glassy surface. How pale she seemed! Her lips almost blue and her skin dry and chill. Her wounds were vicious, Spruner saw, but the dwarf sensed that the most telling injury was neither cut nor bruise. Rather, his precious girl seemed to have lost her spirit, as though she'd given up her desire for life and she'd fallen into the darkness. She now lay limp, cold, and pale in his arms. On the floor, Drizzt instinctively recognized the dangers. He lulled over to the side, pulling his cloak out wide, shielding Bruner, who was quite oblivious to his surroundings, and Caterbury with his own body. Across the room, Laval stirred, shaking the grogginess out of his head. He rose to his knees and surveyed the room, immediately recognizing Wolfgar's attempt to close the gate. "'Kill them!' Pook whispered to the wizard, but not daring to crawl out from under the overturned chair." Laval wasn't listening. He had already begun a spell. For the first time in his life, Wolfgar found his strength inadequate. I cannot, he grunted in dismay, looking at Drizzt, as he always looked to Drizzt for an answer. The wounded drow was barely coherent. Wolfgar wanted to surrender. His arms burned from the gashes of the hydrobite. His legs seemed barely able to hold him. His friends were helpless on the floor, and his strength was not enough. He shot his gaze to and fro, searching for some alternative method. The hoop, however powerful, had to have a weakness, or at least, to hold out any hope, Wolfgar had to believe that it did. Regis had gotten through it, had found a way to circumvent its power. Regis? Wolfgar found his answer. He gave a final heave on the tarot's hoop, then released it quickly, sending the portal into a momentary wobble. Wolfgard didn't hesitate to watch the eerie spectacle. He dove down and snatched the pearl-tipped scepter from Drizzt's belt, then leaped up straight and slammed the fragile device onto the top of the tarot's hoop, shattering the black pearl into a thousand tiny shards. At that same moment, Laval uttered the last syllable of his spell, Releasing a mighty bolt of energy, it ripped past Wolfgar searing the hairs on his arm and blasted into the center of the tarot soup. The glassy image, cracked into a circular design of a spider's web by Wolfgar's cunning strike, broke apart altogether. The ensuing explosion rocked the foundations of the guildhouse. Thick patches of darkness swirled about the room. The onlookers perceived the whole place to be spinning, and a sudden wind whistled and howled in their ears as though they'd all been caught in the tumult of a rift in the very planes of existence. Black smoke and fumes rushed in upon them. The darkness became total. Then, as quickly as it had begun, it passed away, and daylight returned to the battered room. Drizd and Brunner were the first to their feet, studying the damage and the survivors. The tarot's hoop lay twisted and shattered, a bent frame of worthless iron with a sticky web-like substance clinging stubbornly in torn patches. A winged demodan lay dead on the floor, the severed arm of another creature beside it, and half the body of yet another beside that, still twitching in death and thick, dark fluids spilling onto the floor. A dozen feet back sat Wolfgar, propped up on his elbows and looking perplexed, one arm bright red from Laval's energy bolt his face blackened by the rush of smoke, and his entire frame matted in a gooey webbing. A hundred little dots of blood dotted the barbarian's body. Apparently, the glassy image of the planar portal had been more than just an image. Wolfgar looked at his friends distantly, blinked his eyes a few times, and dropped flat on his back. Laval groaned, catching the notice of Drizzt and Bruner. The wizard started to struggle back to his knees, but realized that he would only be exposing himself to the victorious invaders. He slumped back to the floor and lay very still. Drizd and Brunner looked at each other, wondering what to do next. "Fine to see the light again,' came a soft voice below them. They looked down to meet the gaze of Caterbury. Her deep blue eyes opened once again. Brunner, in tears, dropped to his knees and huddled over her. Drizzt started to follow the dwarfs' lead, but sensed that theirs should be a private moment. He gave a comforting pat on Brunner's shoulder and walked away to make sure that Wolfgar was all right. A sudden burst of movement interrupted him as he knelt over his barbarian friend. The great throne, torn and scorched against the wall, toppled forward. Drizzt held it away easily, but while he was engaged, he saw Pasha Pook dart out from behind the object and bolt for the room's main door. Brunner! Drizzt called, but he knew even as he had said it the dwarf was too caught up with his daughter to be bothered. Drizd pushed the great chair away and pulled Talmurl off his back, stringing it as he started his pursuit. Pook rushed through the door, swinging it around to slam it behind him. "'Rassit!' he started to yell, and he turned back toward the stairs. But the word stuck in his throat when he saw Regis, arms crossed, standing before him at the top of the stairway. "'You!' Pook roared, his face twisting and his hands clenching in rage. No. Him! Regis corrected, pointing a finger above as a sleek black form leaped over him. To the stunned Pook, Gwenhiver appeared as no more than a flying ball of big teeth and claws. By the time Driz got through the door, Pook's reign as guildmaster had come to a crashing end. Gwenhiver! The drow called. Within reach of his treasured companion for the first time in many weeks, the big panther lopped over to Drizzt and nuzzled him warmly, every bit as happy with the reunion. Other sights and sounds kept the meeting short, however. First, there was Regis, reclining comfortably on the decorated banister, his hands locked behind his head, and his furry feet crossed. Drizzt was glad to see Regis again as well but more disturbing to the drow were the sounds echoing up the stairs, screams of terror and throaty growls. Bruner heard them too, and he came out of the room to investigate. Rumblebelly! belly! He hailed Regis, following Driz to the halfling side. They looked down the great stairway at the battles below. Every now and then, a were-rat crossed by, pursued by a panther. One group of ratmen formed a defensive circle. "'their blades flashing about to deter "'Gwenhyver's feline friends, right below the friends, "'but a wave of black fur and gleaming teeth "'buried them where they stood. Cats, Bruner gawked at Regis. "'You brought cats!' "'Regis smiled and shifted his head in his hands. "'You know a better way to get rid of mice?' "'Bruner shook his head and couldn't hide his own smile. "'He looked back at the body of the man "'who had fled the room. "'Dead, too!' he remarked grimly. That was Pook, Regis told them, though they'd already guessed the guildmaster's identity. Now he is gone, and so, I believe, will his whereat associates be? Regis looked at Drizzt, knowing an explanation to be necessary. Gwenhyber's friends are only hunting the ratmen, he said, and him, of course, he pointed to Pook. The regular thieves are hiding in their rooms, if they're smart. But the Panthers wouldn't hurt them anyway. Driz nodded his approval at the discretion Regis and Gwenhyver had chosen. Gwenhiver was not a vigilante. We all came through the statue, Regis continued. I kept it with me when I went out of Tartarus with Gwenhiver. The cats can go back through it to their own plane when their work is done. He tossed the figurine back to its rightful owner. A curious look came over the halfling's face. He snapped his fingers and hopped down from the banister, as if his last action had given him an idea. He ran to Pook, rolled the former guildmaster's head to the side, trying to ignore the very conspicuous wound in Pook's neck, and lifted off the ruby pendant that had started the whole adventure. Satisfied, Regis turned to the very curious stares of his two friends. "'Time to make some allies,' the halfling explained, and he darted off down the stairs." Brunner and Drizzt looked at each other in disbelief. Ha! He'll own the guild! Bruner assured the drow. Drizzt didn't argue the point. From an alley on Rogue's Circle, Rasseter again in his human form heard the dying screams of his fellow radmen. He had been smart enough to understand that the guild was overmatched by the heroes from the north, and when Pook sent him down to rally the fight, He had slipped instead back into the protection of the sewers. Now he could only listen to the cries and wonder how many of his lycanthrope kin would survive the dark day. "'I will build a new guild,' he vowed to himself, though he fully understood the enormity of the task, especially now that he had achieved such notoriety in Kalimport. Perhaps he could travel to another city, Memnon or Baldur's Gate, further up the coast.' His ponderings came to an abrupt end as the flat of a curving blade came to rest on his shoulder, the razor edge cutting a tiny line across the side of his neck. Rasseter held up a jeweled dagger. This is yours, I believe, he said, trying to sound calm. The saber slipped away and Rasseter turned to face Artemis and Trey. And Trey reached out with a bandaged arm to pull the dagger away at the same time slipping the saber back into its scabbard. "'I knew you had been beaten,' Rasseter said boldly. "'I feared you dead.' "'Feared?' "'And Treri grinned. "'Or hoped.' Uh, "'It is true that you and I started off as rivals,' Rasseter began. "'And Treri laughed again. "'He had never figured the rat man worthy enough to be considered a rival. "'Rasseter took the insult in stride. "'But we didn't serve the same master.' He looked to the guildhouse, where the screaming had finally begun to fade. I think Pook is dead, or at least thrown from power. If he face the drow, he is dead. Entreri spat, the mere thought of Drizdu Arden filling his throat with bile. Then the streets are open, Rasseter reasoned. He gave Entreri a sly wink. For the taking. You and I, Entreri mused. Rasseter shrugged. Few in Kalimport would oppose you, the Wereat said, and with my infectious bite, I can breed a host of loyal followers in mere weeks. Certainly, none would dare stand against us in the night. And Trey moved beside him, joining him in his scan of the guildenhouse. Yes, my ravenous friend, he said quietly. But there remain... Two problems. Two? Two, and Trey reiterated. First, I walk alone. Rassiter's body jolted straight as a dagger blade cut into his spine. And second, and Trey continued without missing a breath, you are dead. He jerked the bloody dagger out and held it vertical to wipe the blade on Rassiter's cloak as the whereat fell lifeless to the ground. And Trieri surveyed his handiwork and the bandages on his wounded elbow. Stronger already, he muttered to himself, and he slipped away to find a dark hole. The morning was full and bright now, and the assassin, still with much healing to do, was not ready to face the challenges he might come across on the daytime streets. Chapter 25 A Walk in the Sun Bruner knocked lightly on the door, not expecting a response. As usual, no reply came back. This time, though, the stubborn dwarf did not walk away. He turned the latch and entered the darkened room. Stripped to the waist and running his slender fingers through his thick mane of white hair, Drizzt sat on his bed with his back to Bruner. Even in the dimness, Bruner could see clearly the scab line sliced across the drow's back. The dwarf shuddered, never imagining in those wild hours of battle that Drizzt had been so viciously wounded by Artemis and Five Five days, elf,' Bruner said quietly. "'Do you mean to live your life in here?' Drizzt turned slowly to face his dwarven friend. "'Where else would I go?' he replied. Bruner studied the lavender eyes, twinkling to reflect the light of the hallway beyond the open door." The left one had opened again, the dwarf noted hopefully. Brunner had feared that the demodan's blow had forever closed Drizzt's eye. Clearly it was healing, but still those marvelous arms worried Brunner. They seemed to him to have lost a good bit of their luster. "'How is Caterbury?' Drizzt asked, sincerely concerned about the young woman, but also wanting to change the subject. Brunner smiled. "'Not for walking yet,' he replied." But her fightin's back, and she's not caring for lying quiet in a bed, he chuckled. Recalling the scene earlier in the day, when one attendant had tried to primp his daughter's pillow, Caterbury's glare alone had drained the blood from the man's face. Cuts her servants down with her blade of a tongue when they fuss over her. Driz's smile seemed strained. And Wolfgar? The boy's better, Brunner replied. "'Took four hours scraping the spider gook off of him, "'and he'll be wearing wrappings on his arms for a month to come. "'But more than that's needed to bring the boy down, "'tough as a mountain and near and as big.' "'They watched each other until the smiles faded "'and the silence grew uncomfortable. "'The halfling's feast is about to begin,' Brunner said. you goin? "'With a belly so round, me guess is that Rumble Belly will set a fine table.' Drizzt shrugged noncommittally. Bah! Brunner snorted. You can't be living your life between dark walls! He paused as a thought suddenly popped into his head. Or are you out at night? he asked slyly. Out? Hunting? explained Brunner. Are you out hunting and treri? Now Drizzt did laugh, as the notion that Brunner linked his desire for solitude to some obsession with the assassin... You're burning for him, Brunner reasoned, and he for yourself if he's still for drawin' breath. Come, Drizzt said, pulling a loose shirt over his head. He picked up the magical mask as he started around the bed, but stopped to consider the item. He rolled it over in his hands, then dropped it back to the dressing table. Let us not be late for the feast, Brunner's guess about Regis had not missed the mark. The table awaiting the two friends was splendidly adorned with shining silver and porcelain, and the aromas of delicacies had them unconsciously licking their lips as they moved to their appointed seats. Regis sat at the long table's head, the thousand gemstones he had sewn into his tunic catching the candlelight in a glittering burst every time he shifted in his seat. Behind him stood the two hill-giant eunuchs who had guarded Pook to the bitter end, their faces bruised and bandaged. At the halfling's right sat Laval, to Brunner's distaste, and at his left, a narrow-eyed halfling and a chubby young man, the chief lieutenants in a new guild. Farther down the table sat Wolfgar and Caterbury side by side, their hands clasped between them, which, Drizzt guessed, by the pale and weary looks of the two, was as much for mutual support as genuine affection. As weary as they were, though, their faces lit with smiles, as did Regis's when they saw Drizzt enter the room, the first time any of them had seen the drow in nearly a week. "'Welcome! Welcome!' Regis said happily. "'It would have been a shallow feast if you could not have joined us!' Drizd slid into the chair beside Laval, drawing a concerned look from the timid wizard." The guild's lieutenants, too, shifted uneasily at the thought of dining with a drow elf. Drizzt smiled away the weight of their discomfort. It was their problem, not his. I have been busy, he told Regis. Brooding? Bruner wanted to say as he sat next to Drizzt, but he tactfully held his tongue. Wolfgar and Caterbury stared at their black friend from across the table. You swore to kill me, the drow said calmly to Wolfgar causing the big man to sag back in his chair. Wolfgar flushed a deep red and tightened his grip on Caterbury's hand. Only the strength of Wolfgar could have held that gate, Drizd explained. The edges of his mouth turned up in a wistful smile. But I, Wolfgar began, but Caterbury cut him short. Enough said about that, then, the young woman insisted, banging her fist into Wolfgar's thigh. "'Let us not be talking about troubles we've passed. "'Too much remains before us.' "'Me girl's right,' spouted Brunner. "'The days walk by us as we sit and heal. "'Another week and we might be missing a war.' "'I am ready to go,' declared Wolfgar. "'You're not,' retorted Caterbury. "'Nor am I. "'The desert had stopped us afore we even got on the long road beyond.' "'Ahem,' Regis began, drawing their attention. About your departure. He stopped to consider their stares, nervous about presenting his offer in just the right way. I, uh, uh, thought that, uh, I mean, spit it out, demanded Bruner, guessing what his little friend had in mind. Well, I have built a place for myself here, Regis continued, and you're to stay, reasoned Catterbury. "'We'll not blame you, though we're sure to be missin' you.' "'Yes,' said Regis, "'and no, there is room here and wealth, "'with the four of you by my side.' "'Bruner halted him with an upraised hand. "'A fine offer,' he said. "'But me home's in the north.' "'We've armies waitin' on our return,' added catterbury "'Regis realized the finality of Bruner's refusal.' and he knew that Wolfgar would certainly follow Caterbury back to Tartarus if she so chose. So the halfling turned his sights on Drizzt, who had become an unreadable puzzle to them all in the last few days. Drizzt sat back and considered the proposition, his hesitancy to deny the offer drawing concerned stares from Brunner, Wolfgar, and particularly Caterbury. Perhaps life in Kalimport would not be so bad and certainly the drow had the tools to thrive in the shadowy realm Regis planned to operate within. He looked Regis squarely in the eye. No, he said. He turned at the audible sigh from Caterbury across the table and their eyes locked. I have walked through too many shadows already, he explained. A noble quest stands before me, and a noble throne awaits its rightful king. Regis relaxed back in his chair and shrugged. "'He had expected as much. "'If you are all so determined to go back to war, "'then I would be a sorry friend if I did not aid you in your quest.' "'The others eyed him curiously, "'never amazed at the surprises the little one could pull. "'To that end,' Regis continued, "'one of my agents reported the arrival of an important person, "'from the tales Brunner had told me of your journey south, "'in Kalimport this morning.' He snapped his fingers, and a young attendant entered from a side curtain, leading Captain Dordemont. The captain bowed low to Regis, and lower still to the dear friends he had made on the perilous journey from Waterdeep. The wind was at our backs, he explained, and the sea sprite runs swifter than ever. We can depart at the morrow's dawn. Surely the gentle rock of a boat is a fine place to mend weary bones. But the trade, said Drizzt, The market is here in Kalimport, and the season. You did not plan to leave before spring. I may not be able to get you all the way to Waterdeep, said Dortmund. The winds and ice will tell, but you surely will find yourself closer to your goal when you take the land once again. He looked over to Regis, then back to Drizzt. For my losses in trade, accommodations have been made. Regis tucked his thumbs into his jeweled belt, I owed you that at the least. Bah! snorted Bruner, an adventurous gleam in his eye. Ten times more, Rumblebelly! Ten times more! Drizzt looked out of his room's single window at the dark streets of Kalimport. They seemed quieter this night, hushed in suspicion and intrigue anticipating the power struggle that would inevitably follow the downfall of a guildmaster as powerful as Pasha Pook. Driz knew that there were other eyes out there looking back at him, at the guildhouse, waiting for word of the drow elf, waiting for a second chance to battle Driz The night passed lazily, and Driz, unmoving from his window, watched it drift into dawn. Again, Bruner was the first to his room. "'You ready, elf?' The eager dwarf asked, closing the door behind him as he entered. "'Patience, good dwarf,' Drizzt replied. "'We cannot leave until the tide is right, and Captain Dordemont assured me that we had the bulk of the morning to wait.' Brunner plopped down on the bed. "'Better,' he said at length. "'Gives me more time to speak with the little one.' "'You fear for Regis,' observed Drizzt. "'Aye,' Brunner admitted." The little one's done well by me, he pointed to the onyx statuette on the dressing table. And by yourself, Rumblebilly said it himself, there's wealth to be taken here. Pook's gone, and it's to be a grab as grab can, and that entrary's about, that's not to me liking. And more of them ratmen, not to doubt, lookin' to pay the little one back for their pain, and that wizard... "'Rumblebelly says he's got him by the gemstones. if you get me meaning. "'But it seems off to me that a wizard's caught by such a charm.' "'To me as well,' Drizzt agreed. "'I don't like him, and I don't trust him,' Bruner declared. "'Rumblebelly's got him standing right beside him.' "'Perhaps you and I should pay Laval a visit this morning,' Drizzt offered. "'That we might judge where he stands.' Bruner's knocking technique shifted subtly when they arrived at the wizard's door, from the gentle tapping he had laid on Driz's door to a battering ram crescendo of heavy slugs. Laval jumped from his bed and rushed to see what was the matter, and who was beating upon his brand new door. Morning, wizard, Bruner grumbled, pushing into the room as soon as the door cracked open. So I guessed, muttered Laval, looking to the hearth and beside it to the pile of kindling that was once his old door. "'Greetings, good dwarf,' he said as politely as he could muster. "'And, Master Duarden,' he added quickly when he noticed Drizzt slipping in behind, "'were you not to be gone by this late hour?' "'We have time,' said Drizzt. "'And we're not for leaving till we've seen for the safety of Rumblebelly,' Bruner explained. "'Rumblebelly?' echoed Laval. "'The halfling!' roared Brunner. Your master! Ah, yes, uh, Master Regis, said Laval wistfully, his hands going together over his chest and his eyes taking on a distant, glossy look. Drizzt shut the door and glared, suspicious, at him. Laval's faraway trance faded back to normal when he considered the unblinking drow. He scratched his chin, looking for somewhere to run. He couldn't fool the drow, he realized. The dwarf, perhaps. The halfling, certainly but not this one. Those lavender eyes burned holes right through his facade. You do not believe that your little friend has cast his enchantment over me? He said. Wizards avoid wizards' traps, Drizzt replied. Fair enough, said Laval, slipping into a chair. Bah, then you're a liar too, growled Bruner, his hand going to the axe on his belt. Drizzt stopped him. If you doubt the enchantment, said Laval, do not doubt my loyalty. I am a practical man who has served many masters in my long life. Pook was the greatest of these, but Pook is gone. Laval lives on to serve again. Or mightn't be that he sees a chance to make the top, Bruner remarked, expecting an angry response from Laval. Instead, the wizard laughed heartily. I have my craft, he said. It's all that I care for. I live in comfort, and I'm free to go as I please. I need not the challenges and dangers of a guildmaster. He looked to Drizzt as to the more reasonable of the two. I will serve the halfling, and if Regis is thrown down, I will serve he that takes the halfling's place. The logic satisfied Drizzt and convinced him of the wizard's loyalty beyond any enchantment the ruby could have induced. Let us take our leave, he said to Brunner, and he started out the door. Brunner could trust Driz's judgment, but he couldn't resist one final threat. "Ye crossed me, wizard, he growled from the doorway. You it killed me, girl. If me friend comes to a bad end, you'll pay with your head. Laval nodded but said nothing. Keep him well, the dwarf finished with a wink, and he slammed the door with a bang. He hates my door, the wizard lamented. The troop gathered inside the guildhouse's main entrance an hour later. Drizzt, Brunner, Wolfgar, and Caterbury outfitted again in their adventuring gear, and Drizzt with the magical mask hanging loosely around his neck. Regis, with attendants in tow, joined them. He would make the trip to the sea sprite beside his formidable friends, let his enemies see his allies in all their splendor, the sly new Guildmaster figured, particularly a drow-elf. "'A final offer before we go,' Regis proclaimed. "'We're not for staying,' Bruner retorted. "'Not to you,' Regis said. He turned squarely to Drizzt. "'To you?' Driz waited patiently for the pitch as the halfling rubbed his eager hands together. Fifty thousand gold pieces, Regis said at length, for your cat. Driz's eyes widened to double their size. Gwenhyver will be well cared for, I assure. Catterbury slapped Regis on the back of the head. Find your shame, she scolded. You know the drow better than that. Driz calmed her with a smile. A treasure for a treasure, he said to Regis. You know I must decline. Gwenhever cannot be bought, however good your intentions may be. Fifty thousand, Bruner huffed. If we wanted it, we'd have taken it afore we left. Regis then realized the absurdity of the offer, and he blushed in embarrassment. Are you so certain that we came across the world to your aid? Wolfgar asked him. Regis looked at the barbarian confused. "'Perhaps t'was the cat we came after,' Wolfgar continued seriously. The stunned look on Regis's face proved more than any of them could bear, and a burst of laughter like none of them had enjoyed in many months erupted, infecting even Regis. "'Here,' Drizzt offered when things had quieted down once again. "'Take this instead.' He pulled the magical mask off of his head and tossed it to the halfling. "'Should you keep it until we get to the boat?' Pruner asked. Dresd looked to Caterbury for an answer, and her smile of approval and admiration cast away any remaining doubts he may have had. No, he said. Let the Kalashites judge me for what they will. He swung open the doors, allowing the morning sun to sparkle in his lavender eyes. Let the wide world judge me for what it will. He said, his look one of genuine contentment as he dropped his gaze alternately into the eyes of each of his four friends. You know who I am. Epilogue The sea sprite cut a difficult course northward up the Sword Coast, into the wintry winds, but Captain Dordemont and his grateful crew were determined to see the four friends safely and swiftly back to Waterdeep. Stunned expressions from every face on the docks greeted the resilient vessel as it put into Waterdeep Harbor, dodging the breakers and the ice flows as it went. Mustering all the skill he had gained through years of experience, Dordemont docked the sea sprite safely. The four friends had recovered much of their health and their humor during those two months at sea, despite the rough voyage. All had turned out well in the end. Even Cattery's wounds appeared as if they would fully heal. But if the sea voyage back to the north was difficult, the trek across the frozen lands was even worse. Winter was on the wane, but still thick in the land, and the friends could not afford to wait for the snows to melt. They said their goodbyes to Dordemont and the men of the sea sprite, tightened their heavy cloaks and boots, and trudged off through Waterdeep's gates along the tradeway on the northeastern course to Longsaddle. Blizzards and wolves reared up to stop them. The path of the road, its plentiful markings buried under the year's worth of snow, became no more than a guess of a drow elf reading the stars and sun. Somehow they made it, though, and they stormed into Longsaddle, ready to retake Mithril Hall. Brunner's kin from Icewind Dale were there to greet them, along with five hundred of Wolfgar's people. Less than two weeks later, General Dagnabit of Sidral Adbar led his eight thousand dwarven troops to Brunner's side. Battle plans were drawn and redrawn. Drizzt and Brüner put their memories of the Undercity and mine caverns together to create models of the place and estimate the number of Dorgar the army would face. Then, with spring defeating the last blows of winter and only a few days before the army was set out to the mountains, two more groups of allies came in, quite unexpectedly. A contingent of archers from Silvery Moon and Nesmi. Brunner at first wanted to turn away the warriors from Nesmi, remembering the treatment that he and his friends had received at the hands of the Nesmi patrol on their initial journey to Mithril Hall, and also because the dwarf wondered how much of the show of allegiance was motivated in the hopes of friendship and how much in the hopes of profit. But, as usual, Brunner's friends kept him on the wise course. The dwarves would have to deal extensively with Nesmi, the closest settlement to Mithril Hall, once the mines were reopened, and a smart leader would patch the bad feelings there and then. Their numbers were overwhelming their determination unrivaled, and their leaders magnificent. Bruner and Dagnabit led the main assault force of battle-hardened dwarves and wild barbarians sweeping out room after room of Dorgar scum. Catterbury with her bow, the few Harpels who had made the journey, and the archers from the two cities cleared the side passages along the main force's thrust. Drizzt, Wolfgar, and Gwenhyver, as they had so often done in the past, forged out alone, scouting the areas ahead of and below the army, taking out more than their share of Dorgar along the way. In three days, the top level was cleared. In two weeks, the Undercity. By the time Spring had settled fully into the Northland, less than a month after the army had set off from Longsaddle, the hammers of Clan Battlehammer began their smiting song in the ancient halls once again, and the rightful king took his throne." Drizzt looked down from the mountains to the distant lights of the enchanted city of Silvery Moon. He had been turned away from the city once before, a painful rejection, but not this time. He could walk the land as he chose, now with his head held up high and the cowl of his cloak thrown back. Most of the world did not treat him any differently. Few knew the name of Drizztuarden, but Drizzt knew that he owed no apologies or excuses for his black skin. And to those who placed unfair judgment upon him, he offered none. The weight of the world's prejudice would still fall upon him heavily. But Drizzt had learned by the insights of Cadbury to stand against it. What a wonderful friend she was to him! Drizzt had watched her grow to a special young woman, and he was warmed now by the knowledge that she had found her home. The thought of her with Wolfgar and standing beside Bruner touched the dark elf, who had never experienced the closeness of family how much we have all changed, the drow whispered to empty mountain winds. His words were not a lament. The autumn saw the first crafted goods flow from Mithril Hall to Silvery Moon, and by the time winter turned again to spring, the trade was in full force, with the barbarians from Icewind Dale working as market-bearers for the dwarven goods. That spring, too, a carving was begun in the Hall of the Kings, the likeness of Brunner Battlehammer, to the dwarf who had wandered so far from his home and had seen so many marvelous and horrible sights, the reopening of the mines and even the carving of his bust seemed of minor importance when weighed against another event planned for this year. "'I told you he'd be back,' Brunner said to Wolfgar and Caterbury, who both sat beside him in the audience hall. "'The elf not be missing such a thing as important as your wedding.' General Dagnabbit, who, with blessings from King Harbrum of Citadel Adbar, had stayed on with two thousand other dwarves swearing allegiance to Bruner, entered the room, escorting a figure who had become less and less noticeable in Mithril Hall over the last few months. "'Greetings,' said Drizzt, moving up to his friends. "'So you made it,' Caterbury said absently, feigning disinterest. "'We had not planned for this,' added Wolfgar in the same casual tone." I pray that there may be an extra seat at the table. Drizzt only smiled and bowed low in an apology. He had been absent quite often, four weeks at a time, lately. Personal invitations to visit the Lady of Silvery Moon and her enchanted realm were not so easily refused. Bah! Bruner snorted. I told you he'd come back, and back to stay this time. Drizzt shook his head. Bruner cocked his in return, "'wondering what was getting into his friend. "'You huntin' for the assassin-elf?' "'He couldn't help but ask. Drizd grinned and shook his head again. "'I've no desire to meet that one again,' he replied. "'He looked at catterbury, "'She understood, then back to Bruner. "'There are so many sights in the wide world, my dear dwarf, "'that cannot be seen from the shadows. "'Many sounds more pleasant than the Ring of Steel, "'and many smells preferable to the stench of death.' Cook another feast, Brunner grumbled. Sure on the elf is his eyes fixed on another wedding. Drizd let it go at that. Maybe there was a ring of truth in Brunner's words, for some distant date. No longer did Drizd limit his hopes and desires. He would see the world as he could and draw his choices from his wishes, not from limitations he might impose upon himself. For now, though, Drizd had found something too personal to be shared. For the first time in his life, the drow had found peace. Another dwarf entered the room and scurried up to Dagnabbit. They both took their leave, but Dagnabbit returned a few moments later. "'What is it?' Bruner asked him, confused by all the bustle. "'Another guest?' Dagnabbit explained. But before he could launch a proper introduction, a halfling figure slipped into the room. "'Regis!' Caterby cried. She and Wolfgar rushed to meet their old friend. Rumblebelly, Bruner yelled. What in the nine hills? Did you believe that I would miss this occasion? Regis huffed. The wedding of two of my dearest friends How'd you know? Bruner asked. You underestimate your fame, King Bruner, Regis said, dropping into a graceful bow. Drizzt studied the halfling curiously. He wore his gem-studded jacket and more jewelry, including the ruby pendant, than the drow had ever seen in one place, and the pouches hanging low on Regis's belt were sure to be filled with gold and gems. Might you be staying long? Caterbury asked. Regis shrugged. I am in no hurry, he replied. Drizzt cocked his eyebrow. A master of a thieves' guild did not often leave his place of power. Too many were usually ready to steal it out from under him. Caterbury seemed happy with the answer, and happy with the timing of the halfling's return. Wolfgar's people were soon to rebuild the city of Settlestone at the base of the mountains. She and Wolfgar, though, planned to remain in Mithril Hall at Bruner's side. After the wedding, they planned to do a bit of traveling they'd had in mind, maybe back to Icewind Dale. Maybe, along with Captain Dordemont later in the year, when the Sea Sprite sailed back to the Southlands. "'Caterbury dreaded telling Bruner that they would be leaving, if only for a few months. "'With Driz so often on the road, she feared that the dwarf would be miserable. "'But if Regis planned to stay for a while—' "'Might I have a room?' Regis asked. "'To put my things and to rest away the weariness of a long road.' "'We'll see to it,' Caterbury offered. "'And for your attendance?' Bruner asked. "'Oh!' stammered Regis, searching for a reply. I came alone. The southerners do not take well to the chill of the northern spring, you know. Well, off with you then, said Brunner. Sure it be my turn to set out a feast for the pleasure of your belly. Regis rubbed his hands together eagerly and left with Wolfgar and Caterbury, the three of them breaking into tales of their latest adventures before they'd even left the room. "'Sure, and few folk in Callumport have ever heard me name, Elf,' Brunner said to Drizzt after the others had gone. "'And who south along, south would be knowing of the wedding?' He turned a sly eye on his dark friend. "'Sure, and the little one brings a bit of his treasure along with him, eh?' Drizzt had come to the same conclusion the moment Regis had entered the room. "'He is running.' Got himself into trouble again, Brunner snorted, or I'm a bearded gnome. And that concludes the Halfling's Gem and the Icewind Dale trilogy. But the journey does not end. I will be continuing on with the Legacy of the Drow series, starting off with Book 7, The Legacy. On a side note, Those of you who are not familiar with the Drizzt books and this is your first time enjoying them, the Icewind Dale trilogy was actually written first by Salvatore. He then went back to write the Dark Elf trilogy, which, as we know, chronologically came first. The curious thing is that when he wrote the Icewind Dale trilogy, he had intended for Wolfgar to be the star of the books, at least in The Crystal Shard. And as the series progressed, we see that Drizzt quickly became the star, and the series became all about him. Regardless, the books are phenomenal, I think you will all agree. Thank you again for everybody who has listened so far and continued on this journey with me. I continue to receive correspondence from so many people, and it makes me smile. I love answering the questions, I love discussing with you the characters and the situations and the narration and on and on and on. So please, by all means, keep that coming. I hope everybody has a fantastic holiday weekend, and I'll see you all in a week.